This is episode number 710 with the large language model specialist, Chris Okerbeck. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast. Today I'm joined by the intrepid Chris Ogerbeck. Chris is a content creator who specializes in creating LLM-based projects, large language model-based projects. And so he does this with Python libraries like Langchain and the Hugging Face Transformers library. And then he uses the projects to teach these LLM techniques to whoever wants to learn them. Previously, he worked as a software engineer in Germany. He holds a master's in electrical and electronics engineering from the Wrocław University of Science and Technology. In this episode, Chris details the exceptionally popular Langchain framework for developing LLM applications. Specifically, he introduces how Langchain is so powerful by walking us step-by-step -step through a chatbot he built that interactively answers questions about episodes of the Super Data Science Podcast. How cool is that? And having been a listener to the Super Data Science Podcast for years, at the end of today's episode, Chris flips the script on me and asks me some of the burning questions that he has for me, questions that perhaps many other listeners also have wondered the answers to. All right, let's get to it. Let's jump right into our conversation. Chris, welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. It's so cool to have you here. You can fill the audience in on more of the details, but my understanding is that you've been listening to the Super Data Science Podcast since before I became host. So it's about three years now that I've been hosting the show. Kirill Aramenko was host of the show for four years before that. And yeah, I guess you were listening back in the Kirill days. I think you've listened to most episodes. And so we connected on LinkedIn when I took over as host three years ago. And we've exchanged some messages. Um, I've been seeing your content. And over those years, you've become more and more of a content creator and like really disciplined about creating content on a schedule. And yeah, lately you've been focused on creating content related to uh, large language models, like kind of hands-on, um, which I thought is really cool. And so, yeah, so fill me in on what I got wrong about that or maybe fill in some more detail for the listeners. Uh, you got nothing wrong. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I've been creating content for years. I think I have started in 2021, but during that time, I really struggled to stick to one niche and I've had like 10 different niches in that time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, since May, I've been focusing on um, large language models, and this time I hope that's the last niche I ever have. I, I will ever <laughs> yeah. have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess yeah. it can evolve, but yeah, you want to like kind of have that be the because yeah, because you've been talking about you've had posts over the years, kind of about habits in the brain, right? Like that was kind yeah. of like a, that was a focus for a while, um, and they're always so well written. Uh, it's it's it always shows up very high in my newsfeed. Because I always, you know, I always click to read more and I often react. So it shows up and, and for our listeners, you know, we'll be sure to include a link to Chris's LinkedIn in the show notes. And you can look back and you'll see that it's stretching back years. Every post is great quality. Like you really, um, you have a real knack, Chris, for uh, 
clearly explaining something and and turning it into something that's very digestible, especially in this, you know, people kind of expect things in this fast paced, easy to consume format in social media. And uh, you you do that very well while also conveying real information and often information that I haven't seen anywhere else. So I think you're doing a great job of it. And yeah, as you and I both know, it's about sticking to the process and eventually, yeah, things just things just grow. You learn from iterating and you get better and better as things go on. So yeah, super cool. Can't wait to see how that continues to evolve. I also, this reminds me as I'm having this conversation, I think you kind of recently posted at the time of recording at least, you had recently posted about why LLMs in particular is your niche. So I remember you kind of had this like framework for like, it's that, you know, you're passionate about it and you're able to, you know, you have some expertise in this area. Um, so do you, do you know what post I'm talking about? Yes, I know <laughs> which, which post you're talking about. And yeah, this comes from... Naval, because he talks a lot about... Uh, Naval Ravikant. Yeah, yeah, Naval Ravikant is one of those people who really, really influenced me as a creator. And he talks about having a specific knowledge, which is something that you specialize in, like something that you're probably the best in the world at. Because he also says like be the best in the world at what you do and keep redefining what you do until it becomes true. And it is very hard to have this specific knowledge at the beginning because it takes time. It takes a lot of, a lot of time. And at the beginning, we are only copycats, I'd say, because when you start something new, especially when the, because this field is so huge and uh, actually hard to entry. I mean, you need to learn a lot at the beginning in order to build something on your own. And for me also, like building is the best way of learning. So, uh, yeah, I, I just, I basically have this natural curiosity to learn those things. Yeah, And I just believe like large language models or some sub niches of it can become my specific knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But first I need to do those repetitions. Yeah, and so you specifically in this post, uh, and I'll try to remember to include it in the show notes specifically, um, but uh, it basically, it starts off with you saying how, you know, you're not interested in creating just like ChatGPT content. Like there's a lot of that out there. A lot of people are creating ChatGPT content. A lot of people are providing like, you know, prompt engineering guide PDFs or whatever. But you're like, you know, there's a lot of people that can do that. But you have more unique skills, you you can do more than just call. Well, I mean, you, you can call an API, you can do more than just uh, type into a user interface and get prompts back from GPT four. You know, you love Python, uh, Langchain, which we're going to talk about in this episode, focus on in this episode, you know, the Hugging Face Transformers library, like these are, you know, compared to the number of people in the world who can prompt GPT-4 in the chat GPT interface, that's a relatively uh, unique data set, uh, or is it a relatively unique skill set, I mean. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then you're really curious about it. Open source LLMs, you're really excited about it, passionate about it. 
Uh, and so that makes it easy to, to be focused on this area. So yeah, so I think that this, you know, building LLM powered projects, you being, you know, developing that as something in which already you have some specialization in, but as you do it more and more and more, and as this field evolves more and more and more, eventually some years from now, you will be truly expert at it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Be, you know, yeah. Like either in a very tief, a very deep niche or like the combination of some niches, because there is, there is like probably two ways of specializing. Either you combine your skill set into something useful. Because, like, as a generalist, I've got many things I I enjoy doing and I know about. Like, I know more than the average person about, like, you know, 20 different things. But yeah. the other challenge is to combine them into something valuable. And I believe that yeah, yeah, yeah. large language models is a field where you can really, really combine this prompt engineering and your domain knowledge and some other interests into something really valuable for others. For sure, no question. And yeah, I mean, I also have no doubts about your other point about just uh, you know being knowledgeable about a lot of topics from covering your posts over the years. That you have tons of you're obviously doing tons of reading, have tons of different, have tons of lot, have tons of content out there. Uh, on lots of different interesting topics, um, yeah, related to people kind of performing at their best or having their best habits, that kind of thing. Um, awesome. So let's actually jump into the technical topic now for this episode. Uh, now that the audience is uh, kind of familiarized with you and your connection to the show, so um, the immediate reason why I wanted to have you on the show was because you created this YouTube video. Um, so it was published August 3rd. And so I'll have a link to that video in the show notes. It's on your personal YouTube channel, Chris Overbeck. And the video is called Chat with Your Favorite Podcast, The Langchain and GPT 3.5 Guide to Q&A Over Documents. And so you can explain this project to us and uh, like kind of the main parts of the video, what's covered in it. Uh, mm -hmm. And hopefully, at the same time, you can be explaining like what Langchain is. This is something that uh, we talk about a lot on the show, but I haven't had an episode dedicated to it. So I think that this this episode is perfect for that. Um, and yeah, so <laughs> the reason why this video particularly caught my attention <laughs> of the videos that you've been creating is because the podcast. So I mean, it's all about creating a large language model tool. For being able to chat with a podcast episode and the podcast episode that you picked was a super data science episode and it was the one with um harpreet sahota as my guest recently right so it was episode 693 uh the yolo nas one right yeah nice. do you, do you yeah, know so, all the all the numbers no i have a spreadsheet in front of me oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> no no yeah, no, I just, I always got this spreadsheet in front of me. That's a, that's the secret um, okay. when I do those citations. And so I have to really quickly scramble because I'm like, I'm speaking it at the same time. I'm like, oh man, yeah. it would be great to be able to cite this episode number. And so I'm quick, quick, quickly scrolling in my spreadsheet um, to find. It's easier, easier. recent episodes are typically easier because I just yeah. I don't have to scroll back so far. Um, or yeah, quickly using the find function in the spreadsheet or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, so tell us about this 
tell us about Langchain. Tell us about, yeah, just this project of using Langchain to be able to chat with the podcast, kind of how the idea came about and how it all works. Okay, so yeah, the idea came from two sources. First is the deep learning AI you you know the deep learning AI from Andrew Young, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the website, yeah. like the co-founder of Coursera. And yeah, yeah, yeah. he started creating those small courses because usually this is a paid platform, but he started creating those like one, two hour courses with collaboration, uh, in collaboration with uh, people from OpenAI and from Langchain. And in this case, he's, create, he's created two courses from Langchain with the founder of Langchain or co-founder. And one, one of them is really uh, like chat with your data. So that's where uh, they explain really step-by-step step how to do that. Like, uh, and I get into detail. And, you know, I, and, and the second is that me as a creator, as a content creator, and then also a heavy content consumer, I want to have a tool or a way of, you know, interacting with what I consume, like in order to basically save time, because like uh, in this case, control F is not enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. And that's, so I basically, follow the step from the course in order to create my own project with the data from your podcast. And I've experimented with some other solutions like having multiple episodes in, in one and then, you know, feeding the vector database with, with all of them. Uh, but for, for this video, I just decided to stick with a single podcast episode and you know, test the results I get from from it. Yeah, yeah. So basically, so the premise is you, so for every Super Data Science episode, our uh, podcast manager, Ivana, she painstakingly goes through, so we use an automated tool to generate a transcript from the episode, but there's all kinds of things that it gets wrong because there's so many technical mm -hmm. terms in data science that aren't in its vocabulary. Uh, Ivana goes through and fixes all those things and then, you know, we have guests from all over the world. And so guests have different accents. So yeah. sometimes like it doesn't do perfectly at transcribing people with accents and stuff. So she's like, <laughs> so Ivan has told me, um, it's like, you know, for a Tuesday episode, like those are often like over an hour long. And so she's like, it takes her like two or three hours to go through the transcript. Uh, but then if the person, uh, you know, if they have a, an, an accent, it can be like four hours, five hours of the time to like go through and kind of clean everything up. Um, but, uh, that kind of thing is getting better all the time. So I wonder if like something like the open AI whisper API, if we should be using that instead, because I, I think that's supposed to be really good with accents. Anyway, we you know what's, uh, what's running behind, uh, uh, YouTube o auto generated. Because I, I don't know offhand, but it's, uh, yeah, it's I don't know. It's probably there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Google's pretty good at machine learning stuff. <laughs> yeah, they've got even the, some models, right? <laughs> yeah, I think they have a few. 
um so yeah so yeah it does actually there there it is pretty interesting that's something that you can do as well as you can so you can get the transcript in any youtube video there's there's a way that you can you can view the transcripts um yeah, yeah. and yeah so that's cool but we also on the super data science website so for every episode so you know everything related when i say that you can get everything from the show notes you know, all the links that we mentioned in this episode, you can get it from the show notes. I say that all the time. What I mean specifically is that like, so this episode is number 710. So you go to superdatascience.com slash 710. And that'll take you to the show notes for the episode. And we have the transcript as well that Yvonne has gone through. And so we've got this big transcript. And uh, yeah, so I don't know, what did you use? Did you, for your project, did you use the YouTube transcript or the super data science one? I, I've used yours because I, I knew oh, yeah, it was yeah. accu- more accurate. So yeah, okay. yeah, it was nice. also easier. So you grab the transcript from the episode that I did with Harpreet uh, recently, yeah. um, six ninety three, and then uh, yeah. So then you take that, and then what's the next step? You like you need to pre-process the data for LangChain, or how does that work? Yeah, that's where the convenience of LangChain comes. Like uh, because like in the first step when you want to chat with your data in the end you need to like load load the data the langchain offers 80 plus loaders right and they are for various type types of inputs like uh, pdfs text files databases like wikipedia slack messages you can think of anything and and they're well documented like on, on their uh, on their website on the documentation so you can find all the the whole list of, of those loaders and what's the biggest advantage of that like loading the data takes you two lines of code like you just import the loader and pass the source uh, like either the path to your file or or a link to a website or anything and it converts this data into standardized langchain document mm-hmm. which is already so you take any type of input and as the output you've got langchain document and from this point nice. like every step it will be the same regardless of the type of data you're choosing nice yeah so one of the great advantages you're saying of langchain is that uh regardless of what kind of data you have as an input there's 80 plus of these different kinds of data loaders so for example for this one you had you used the pdf of the transcript yeah. from, from episode number 693 um, so there's this like pi pdf loader um exactly. that you used and then boom it's in there yeah uh, and then what you need to like split up the document into like smaller chunks yeah, and then you use the splitter, uh, and it's also from Langchain, and Langchain offers like, several types of splitters. Uh, but yeah, the one I've used was the recursive. I don't remember, it's like the longer name, like, like but recursive. Yeah, character recursive text. character text splitter. I'm looking yeah. at your code. <laughs> so it takes care of that, that you don't, because you split by characters. So let's say every thousand characters, but this one ensures that you don't just cut a word in half. Like it, mm-hmm. like the separators are basically uh, new lines or white spaces. And right, then you've right. got this 
uh, chunk and the chunk overlap so that you actually, uh, let's say, you, you also don't want to cut a sentence in half <laughs> when you finish the split. So you've got like 150 or 200 characters overlapped. So it means like the last sentence or two sentences will be the first sentences in the next split. But in yeah, your yeah. case, it's splitted really equally, like every page into two chunks. So like 40 page, do, uh, 40 page PDF is 80 splits of right, 1000 right, right. characters. And yeah, so, and the, the purpose of this splitting is so that, so I guess each of these chunks, so you're talking about 80 chunks created from a single podcast episode of Super Data Science, and each of those chunks then gets vectorized. Is that the next step? Yeah, that will be the next step, like nice, uh, nice. doing vector embeddings and then uh, feeding them, like, you know, having this vector database. Uh, where Perfect. you store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, so we have like 80 vectors. So every each one of these 80 chunks gets mapped into a different location in a high dimensional space so yeah. that then when whatever question somebody asks, we map their question also into that same high dimensional space and we say, okay, what are the most nearby chunks? Because those are the chunks that are most likely going to contain the answer to their question or, or yeah. the, the next response to their chat prompt. How hard is it to understand how it works? Because it, I mean, I had this breakthrough moment, like when I went through that uh, long chain course, that what's actually happening. And I think up until this point, I just knew like, like those vector embeddings and vector databases do the magic, but without actually <laughs> understanding what's, what's happening. Is it hard? Like, because you sometimes teach those things, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot easier to kind of explain visually. So I often do like something that's kind of easier to help people understand how these embeddings work. It's kind of hard to visualize on a document level because the document has so many different words yeah. and like and concepts of this. So like the the location in this high dimensional space is like it's quite abstract because it represents like the meaning of everything in that chunk. Uh, in you know that half page chunk that you're describing, but yeah. kind of an easy way to imagine it is that you can do the same kind of thing on an individual, um, word. yeah, word level exactly. Mm -hmm. So you could uh, so something that I often do in my teaching when I'm teaching natural language processing, as well as in my book Deep Learning Illustrated, is I have Jupyter notebooks where we we take a corpus of books. Um, so we I can't remember now exactly off the top of my head what I usually use, but it's like uh, there's there's online book repositories of like free books. Gutenberg, uh, Gutenberg Project Gutenberg. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> exactly. So with Project Gutenberg, you can download books um, and, you know, you could download like a relatively small number of books for a fast demo. So I think I use something like 20 or 30 books because um, these are these are like classic books that are no longer under copyright. So you have you have the right to access them. And so, yeah, I grab like 20 or 30 of them for the purposes of class demo. And then we create uh, in vector embeddings of the individual words. And again, yeah, this is something that like, you know, I use a lot of visuals and maybe it takes me like an hour or so to really explain in detail how this really works. But at a high level, um, through 
processes like there's this very popular algorithm now from Thomas Mikhailov that's over 10 years old now, but called Word to Vec. Mm -hmm. And it converts all of the words in your corpus and your body of, of, of books. Uh, corpus is just Latin for, for body. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, these 20 or 30 books, you create word vectors. And it's, it's interesting with word vectors because the, the way that we're able to map them into, an, into a high dimensional space is uh, proximity to other words because it turns this is something that we've known for about a century so um there's an austrian philosopher wittgenstein who uh had the had the philosophy of this idea already a century ago that um a word tends to be the average of the words around it and this is something that's kind of weird to imagine on and when you think when you only look at it like some small examples, it doesn't seem to be true. But when you when you do this over a very large number of words, it turns out that you can kind of predict what a word, not kind of predict, you can predict what a word is going to be based on the words to the right of it and to the left of it. Um, so using that kind of idea, you're able to convert words into this high dimensional space and you decide how many dimensions there are. So for the purposes of being able to visualize this, it's kind of easy to imagine creating a three dimensional space. Now that's not mm -hmm. practical. That doesn't have enough nuance to be useful okay. really as a actual word vector or a document vector um, uh, embedding space. But you could imagine that it's two dimensions or three dimensions. And then so if you, once you, converted all of your words into this vector space, you'll have, you know, if you find the word pants somewhere in your vector space, there's, it, there's likely to be words like shirt and shoes and hat that are nearby. If you find the word Monday, then other days of the week are going to be nearby. And not far away from those days of the week, you're also going to find all the months. So like the months will all cluster together yeah. uh, nearby the region where you find all the days of the week. Um, so yeah, so then over the kind of the whole space, over your, you know, for the purposes of visualizing it, you're imagining like a three-dimensional space. But in practice, this is like a many-dimensional space and how many dimensions you have is a hyperparameter that you decide as the creator of the vector space. The more dimensions that you have, the more computational complexity there is, but potentially the more nuance there is captured mm -hmm. in there. So there's this kind of trade-off um, between like nuance and uh, compute complexity. So yeah. Yeah, I've given you a, a very long answer to that question, <laughs> but I know. It's, yeah, but yeah, it's like the same. So with what you're describing, so you have these eighty chunks, and it's the same kind of idea. It's not a word. It's actually it's it's kind of the average meaning of all of the words in that chunk. Yeah, get embedded into a location. So like you know, at the beginning of this episode, you and I were talking about like habits and that kind of thing, and so those chunks they'll be in one region of this document embedding. Um, that, that you would create if you use Langchain on this very episode. Yeah. Whereas now this conversation that we've been having about vector embeddings would be <laughs> in kind yeah. of this vector embedding region of the vector embedding space. That's a pretty yeah. meta. Yeah, so like in this case, if we were like, if you had a question about habits, like if you wanted to chat with this podcast and if, if you had the question about habits, then like, the, your query will be also embedded, and then 
it will find the most similar chunks and they will be on the first pages of of this of this transcript unless i just confused the <laughs> yeah now, now we're talking about how this in the context of embeddings and we've yeah we're really making it complex but still it should kind of work because then you know we didn't talk about habits that much at the beginning so maybe it brings out you know so then and, and that that context can be relevant so um you know so then you could chat with this podcast transcript and be like um you know what example did they use to describe um to describe embeddings and you know did they use habits <laughs> it could be yeah yeah exactly and and then it'll find that region that that that, that portion of this transcript and it'll and then it can respond yes they did talk about habits as an example of one of the kinds of spaces in the vector space yeah and i think like it, in my project there was because i've used open ai embeddings like the default one i think it uh, like the vectors are over 1000 dimensions like over 1000 elements long i i haven't checked exactly but they're, yeah, they're i think that's long. right i think i think the open ai uh embeddings by default are, are just a little over a thousand. Um, yeah, for memory, okay. I think that's correct. Um, so yeah, so you end up with this thousand dimensional space, which yeah. probably and for this number of, of documents is probably overkill <laughs> for, for putting 80 documents into a thousand dimensional space. But, uh, but yeah, but it, but yeah, I guess with the way that these embeddings work, you're, you're gonna get a lot of nuance. Uh, it's gonna work very well. Um, for sure. Yeah, because there's like, I think many hyperparameters that I don't really know about, uh, I mean, how to optimize them yet. Like really this, uh, you know, split length. I, I, I just didn't know. I just said this 1000 or 1200. I don't remember uh, exactly right now, but maybe I, I could have used like the whole page, like having less, like, to increase the size of the chunk, but decrease the number of, of chunks. So that's something yeah, yeah. definitely that we all should experiment with because I always encourage people to, you know, take what I talk about and just experiment by themselves. Because I always also give all the code on my GitHub and so on. So Yeah, and we'll be sure to include obviously a link to your GitHub as well in the show notes. Um, so people can check out the code for this themselves and check out the video themselves. But yeah, so this kind of gives the idea. So LangChain makes it very easy to load the data in, to split the data into chunks of a reasonable size. And again, yeah, that's a hyperparameter that people need to figure out exactly what size to have uh, based on their particular use case. And then you convert each chunk into a vector embedding space, for example, with the OpenAI Embeddings API, which is a great choice. Only uh, you have to pay. <laughs> Oh, right, right, right. But I can, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess you would have to pay. Um, and, uh, but for this kind of document size, it would be a, a fairly small cost. It must have been dollars. Yeah, no, not a dollar, no. Yeah, not a dollar, yeah. Uh, but yeah, if somebody's like going to be, if they're, if this is like, if somebody's like a data scientist at a law firm and you're going to have to convert like, every clause of millions of documents that the law firm has, <laughs> then it could yeah. start to get pretty expensive. So yeah, you might want to like develop your own in-house in embedding for that. 
um, which I guess is another story for another day. But um, so, yeah, so then once we have these embeddings, then I guess Langchain also just makes it very easy to uh, to retrieve the relevant documents. And then you just then and then that's where the LLM finally like comes in. Right. It's yeah, at this yeah. final point. Yeah. So you can explain that. Yeah. So then we need to like have our query because that's the whole point, like a question or a query in, that goes into that vector database. And Langchain has also this dedicated modules for that, and they call it retrieval QA, I think chain. Uh, I'm not sure I don't have it in front of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, I've got that exact uh, line of code coincidentally up on my screen right now. So it's in the Langchain chains module, it's called retrieval QA. Yes, yeah, exactly. And that's where you like define some, you just, you know, initialize it with some parameters where you just talk about the, I think you give the splits, the vector database you've created, you've created previously and the prompt that you want to ask, uh, that you want to use. And in this prompt, you basically inform your large language model uh, that you're giving him some, that you've got a question and uh, please answer this, this question based on the context I'm going to provide you. And the context comes from the vector database, like from this similarity search, which is probably a huge topic itself. But it, like, based on your query, you get the most similar splits and the number of splits is also a parameter that you give. It can be three, four, five, uh, also something to test. Yeah, and that's, and in this retrieval QA, you also define the large language model you want to use, but Langchain works perfectly fine with OpenAI. So you can use GPT 3.5 or 4 if you've got access. Yeah, that's awesome. So very cool. Uh, and so, yeah, so in this case, why did you, I know that you used in your video, you used GPT 3.5. Um, why did you choose to use that instead of GPT-4? Was it because it's faster and cheaper? Uh, I have waited for so long for for the GPT-4 access, really. Oh, oh, yeah, you don't have API access yet. That's why. Yeah. Okay, so... Now I've so, got it, but oh, I yeah. haven't at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool, man. Well, all right, so, and then, so this kind of approach, I imagine, based on everything you've told me, that this is extensible. We could theoretically do this over all of the super data science transcripts. We would have more chunks, so we'd have more points in our embedding space, but you could have a chat with all of the episodes of super data science. Yeah, but then uh, uh, the challenge is that if you want to aim at a particular episode, you, pro you probably can't. Because like in the yeah. separate chunks, you don't have really information. I mean, you do have information which episode it was, or maybe which file you've used for that, which transcript. Yeah. But like in the query itself, you don't really talk with the metadata of. Right, of, right, right. I mean, there are wonder, options for that, but. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that is an extra complexity. Well, I think you and I, Chris, should talk after the show because 
maybe we could have a project and I'd have to, you know, maybe Kirill and I would be interested in funding a project where you try to do something like that. We create an application where our listeners could come in and talk to any of the episodes of the Super Data Science Podcast or all of them all together. I think there's a, I think that could be a fun idea. So yeah, let's definitely talk after the show and see if that can happen. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to do that. So yeah, I've made a note. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. All right. So this has been great. You know, this has definitely been a detailed introduction to how to use LangChain and the kind of uh, how Q&A works over a large document. Very cool. Um, So yeah, so hopefully, you know, our tech, our, our hands-on practitioners now have a sense of how they can go and do this themselves and how it works. And even folks who are listening who, you know, maybe, uh, you know, aren't hands-on data science practitioners or machine learning practitioners, but hopefully now with the kind of visual explanations that we provided of embeddings and that kind of thing, it helps people understand how these kinds of large language model Q&A tools work over um, a very large document or a very large set of documents. Um, so Chris, before you and I started recording, you said that you had some questions for me. You wanted to, to turn the tables, uh, on me, uh, having been listening to the show for so many years, you had some, some things you wanted to ask. May I have a small addition into what we talked about? Because I think that for for, for listeners are not so, you know, who don't have so much experience with large language models, it's important to say why we even need vector embeddings. And I mean, just about the, like mention a few words about the context length, because that's, that's our bottleneck, right? Because we like GPT models, like three and four, they, they have pretty long context length for 4,000, 8,000 tokens, which is really decent, but if we've got like really many, many pages or uh, like large data, we can't feed our large language models with, with that because it exceeds the context length. And we can think of the context length, length as the memory of, of, the, of the model. So if we feed like 20,000 tokens, which is 15,000 words, uh, I think, uh, basically, like the chat GPT itself, it would it wouldn't allow it, and your large language model would basically forget what you talked about at the beginning. And that's why yeah, we yeah, need yeah. to overcome this bottleneck with vector embeddings. So that's the smart way of like taking our data but feeding only the relevant data to the large language model. Yeah, exactly. Very well said. And I'm glad that you mentioned that. That was a key aspect that I glossed over. Yeah, like, why do we need to be creating all these chunks anyway? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is why, because the bottleneck for this for this Q&A is whatever the context window is of the large language model. And so, yeah, I think uh, with GPT-4 now, it's like an 8,000 subword token, which is probably something like 6,000 words. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, like there are things now like Claude, from Anthropic, it apparently has a hundred thousand token context window now, which is, yeah. I mean, you could just put this whole transcript in, but there are also, I mean, this is, I haven't experimented with context windows that large myself personally, but I think that there are still trade-offs like the, the attention over that entire hundred thousand token window is not going to be as good necessarily as breaking it up into chunks and, and focusing on the most relevant parts specifically. 
Okay. Okay. I'm glad you said that because I'm not privileged enough to use Cloud2. It's available only in the USA and UK. Yeah. I, well, I haven't, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, it's a full disclosure. I haven't used it yet either, but that's kind of, yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised, and don't quote me on this, but I wouldn't be surprised if still breaking it into chunks and finding the most relevant chunks and providing smaller context windows or something like uh, Claude2 could lead to better results. But who knows? I could be wrong. Um, so, yeah. So do you want to do those those questions for me now, Chris? We yeah. covered all, all the key technical items for this episode. Let's start with the podcast itself, okay? <laughs> I, okay. I mean, because we, usually when you start something, like myself, I'm a small creator because, I've, like I said, I've changed my niche so, niche, niches so many times. I've got 50 subscribers on YouTube. So I can, I'm really, if I create bad quality content, nobody sees it. Like my videos have <laughs> 100 views. And usually you need those repetitions, those iterations to become good at something. And people start noticing you only when you're already good. And then they call you the overnight success or something. You know what I mean. But you had like, you've taken over a very, very popular podcast. So it means you had no chance to be bad because... <laughs> I mean, you had to yeah. be great from the start. How? Yeah, there, yeah. How was it? I, yeah, so I, there was certainly. Uh, I guess I had some butterflies, you know, especially the first few times. But um, so the reason why Kirill asked me to be host of the Super Data Science Podcast was because I had piloted my own show, which was called the Artificial Neural Network News Network A Four N, and all. I'll include a link to that in the show notes for people who are curious for kind of like historical reasons. Um, and so we created A4N um, in February, 2020. The first episode was recorded in February, 2020. And the idea for the show was that it was like a newsroom. So I was the anchor of the show and my colleagues, uh, the data scientists that I worked with, that I worked with, whom I still work with today, all these years later, um, they, so I had th three of the data scientists from my team. We're all sitting, the four of us, around a big table. And we were talking about the news. And, and, and it was deliberately cheesy. Like, it was like kind of supposed to be like an 80s newsroom, cheesy music. And we'd have like our headline story. And then I'd say, all right, and now over to Andrew with sports. And Andrew would talk about this cheating story in a Kaggle competition. And then I'd go, all right, over to Vince with weather. And Vince would talk about how uh, climate change is being tackled with machine learning. Okay. So this kind of thing. Um, and I really loved that format, but then in March, 2020, the pandemic hit, uh, in New York. And so we were actually, we we're supposed to record an episode. The second episode was supposed to be, uh, the four of us again in person doing the newsroom thing, but then we were going to have a special guest of Ben Taylor now goes by Jepson Taylor. And, uh, and with the pandemic hitting, uh, Ben's wife was like, no, you're not allowed to fly to New York while there's a global pandemic and film this episode. And then eventually, like, no one even wanted to come into the office and mm -hmm. record this episode in person. So we went to, like, the this more standard podcast interview format, like you and I are doing right now. And, 
Yeah. And so Ben was our second, you know, on, in the second episode of the show, Ben was our, our first kind of guest host. And um, we did five episodes in total. And on one of those episodes, Kirill Aramenko was the, go- was the guest. Ah, so Kirill, okay. Kirill had asked me to be on the Super Data Science podcast around that same time. So um, I'd had my book, Deep Learning Illustrated, had recently come out. So Kirill reached out to me and said, hey, I, I know about your book. Do you want to be on my podcast? And I was like, of course, I want to be on the Super Data Science podcast, one of the most listened to in the industry. And so I, I, I came on his show. And at the end of it, I asked, you know, I just started this podcast. Ben's been a guest on the show. Do you want to be a guest on the show? And Kirill said, you know, I've, I've made over 400 episodes the host, but I've only once before been a guest on someone else's podcast. And so that, that was an honor for us to have him on. And I think he had a good time. Uh, we also had a funny thing where like we impromptu, we made an ad and put it in in the episode as a joke. So there's this, <laughs> this oh, okay. there's uh, an, a fake ad in the episode of A4N with Kirill in it, where um, it was this thing about an app for finding toilet paper, because in the pandemic, oh you <laughs> didn't fun. find yeah. like toilet paper. So yeah, it was this really silly joke ad. Um, which Vince Pataccio uh, did an amazing job, uh, you know, doing doing the the main voice in that fake ad. Um, so yeah, so I don't know. I guess from that, something like six months later, Kirill reached out to me and said, "I have something that I want to talk to you about." <laughs> and like him and I hadn't been talking since since this, so I didn't know what this was going to be about. And he was like, "Yeah, you know, I think it's." You know, I've been hosting this show for four years and uh, I'd like to pass it off to somebody and I'd like that person to be you. So I guess he really liked that fake ad. He knew yeah. he knew that I could read sponsor messages or, you know. Um, so I don't know. So I kind of like auditioned involuntarily and it goes to show like this, this process of creating content, like same kind of thing. At that time, you know, we only created a few episodes. Obviously, there weren't a huge number of listeners, but it gave me some practice and I just happened to like have these interactions with Kirill. And for whatever reason that led to Kirill feeling like, you know what, John Crone is the guy to take over as host of the show. I trust him to do it. And then Kirill and I kind of ramped up. Kirill created this huge document. I actually still have it open in front of me right now because it, it serves as a, uh, you know, a checklist and a template for all kinds of things. But Kirill wrote this 16 page handover document for me. And then we had meetings where we went over it and um, went over the process and he had to introduce me to our podcast manager and our editor and all the other people involved in the show. Um, And yeah, and then we co-hosted an episode together. So there's an episode with uh, Shafri Bahar, um, which I'm quickly looking up in my spreadsheet. So episode number 427, Kiro and I co-hosted it together. Um, And then from then on, I started just hosting it on my own. And the first guest that I ever had on my own, ben. the Super Data Science podcast was Ben Taylor. Yeah. Ben. Yeah. 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 And I that was a, yeah. That was a coincidence. Like Kirill suggested, he was like, you know, who'd be great for your first episode, be a really easy guest, Ben Taylor. And I was like, that was my first guest on my own show. It's crazy. Um, yeah. yeah. Love Ben. He's been on so many episodes of the show now. Anyway, so that was a very long winded answer to your question. Uh, hopefully, some audience members. And, and maybe even you, Chris, found that kind of that context interesting. Yeah, I, I like that context. I love it because, of course, probably nobody heard about the, 
this story, but how did you handle the pressure? Because <laughs> because yeah. you were because you were clearly being compared to Kirill, and you know that his podcast was so successful. Yeah, and you know you didn't have really too much room for mistakes. Yeah, I mean, well, we did lose some some audience members. Definitely left. So, uh, you know, there was something like um, a thirty percent dip in audience when I took over as host. So, some people, I obviously wasn't what they were looking for. Kirill, he's an amazing personality. Obviously, has a distinctive style that is different from yeah. mine. I listened to a bunch of his episodes before I became host, but you know, I, I it doesn't make sense for me to pretend to be Kirill and try to be like Kirill. I've got to kind of be yeah. myself and. So that means that some people left because I wasn't exactly their cup of tea. But then, you know, by kind of the second quarter of me hosting, uh, we were kind of back to uh, Kirill's level. And, uh, you know, through things, you know, through his guidance, because him and I still meet regularly and we figure out how to, you know, how to be adapting the show. He's constantly giving me advice. In the beginning, he was giving me tons and tons of advice. You know, he's listening to every episode and uh, helping me out with, you know, transitions between topics and, you know, you know, do you, you know, is that, is this the best idea for the audience or is that the best idea? And so this kind of Socratic, um, discursive approach that he has really of helping me kind of figure out what's the best thing for me and for the show. Um, so yeah, so I, yeah, I really had to hit the ground running. I, I, I suspect that now several hundred episodes later, um, I hope that I'm doing a better job. <laughs> <laughs> than I was in the beginning. Um, but yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. So, so I, I'm not sure I wasn't, I wasn't overwhelmed with anxiety. I certainly had some hesitation, mm -hmm. but I just kind of, um, I did my best. I, I put a, I spent a lot of time preparing for those first episodes. Um, I still, you know, make sure that I'm well prepared for every episode today, but, you know, in the beginning it was like, you know, making sure that I've crossed all the T's dotted all the I's and I'm really well prepared to, to be able to do it and just, uh, dive in feet, for, feet first, do my best and iterate and improve. There you go. Anything else, Chris, or those, those are your key questions. No, I've got like many about the AI <laughs> space. So I, I don't know how much time can I steal from you? Maybe let's, let's pick, uh. I don't know. Pick pick one or two more of your favorite AI questions. Maybe if I have shorter answers to them, then we can. Okay. Uh, so I tried uh, not to ask a tricky question. Uh, <laughs> do you use ChatGPT every day? Like uh, yeah, I use the I use the ChatGPT user interface most days for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Is it? Is there any like unique way you use it? Like because I don't most think people so. just. Okay. I, I'm mostly, you know, I'm I'm constantly blown away by the things that it can do well. Yeah, there's all kinds of things I put in there. Like I'm looking right now at, at my chat history. And so there's like, you know, mathematical questions, there's programming questions. I recently, at the time of us um recording this episode, I had I have just recorded uh the episode from from last week, last Friday's episode, where I do a um a tour of the uh, ChatGPT code interpreter, and wow. um, it's like, you know, as I was creating that episode, I hadn't used the code interpreter much before. I'd been relying on some of the I, I'd been using GPT four, the standard model, 
to be doing, to be providing me with a lot of help on coding in the past. Um, and it does an incredible job. Like it's, it's absolutely mind blowing for me, mm -hmm. the things that it does and how accurate it is. And then this, this, uh, code interpreter just takes it to the next level because you're, you're executing the Python code right there in the chat GPT browser. You're uploading files. It's creating machine learning models for you and running them and coming up with strategies. Like that's wild. It's, it's such, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's like magic. Like, like it, we now have as data scientists, we have, and, and people in general, with these kinds of tools, these state-of-the-art LLMs, we are supercharged, superpowered. It just it makes everything so easy. Um, you know, there's if if you're ever, you know, with any kind of mundane tasks like writing an email to somebody, you know, often very time, oftentimes when I'm when I'm writing the email. I I have an idea immediately in my head as I start to reply exactly what to say. And so that's easy. I just do it. I just type that in into Gmail and go. But, you know, maybe one in every four, one in every five messages, you know, I'm kind of like, I'm not exactly sure how to start. And so you just, ChatGPT just gets you started. There's no like, you know, it, it just makes it so easy to get that first draft, um, to iterate. Um, and it makes it more fun because it's, it's, it is interactive you know, you feel less alone in a way. And it's even, it's so nice. Like it's so pleasant to you. It has this really friendly, friendly way of, of being helpful. And I think I come out of interactions with GPT-4, a happier, more positive person. I'm more likely to be nice to people that I'm close to, as well as just random people that I see in the street, because it's kind of, the the way that they've fine-tuned this with RLHF, it really embodies the best of human nature and brings out the best in me in return. Yeah. Oh my god. I've got like 10 follow-up questions. So I'm not <laughs> but I I could share my screen right now. I mean I mean I can, but I've got the question. Have you used Chat GPT as a coach? Oh yeah. I mean I haven't explicitly. Um but except I, I, that's what you meant right now. Like having those yeah. interactions. I think that's like, because the coach is like, you know, this yeah. meta work. But. Yeah, yeah. It's implicit. It's like, yeah. So I guess like, you know, it's, you know, you don't have like, most people probably don't have like an email writing coach, but, <laughs> you know, with, with ChatGPT, all of a sudden you kind of have that on hand and they're this very positive. It's like they've taken all these coaching courses and they know exactly how to frame constructive feedback to you in the way that is, you know, the most validating and the most helpful um, so yeah, so I guess in that sense, it's kind of the coach. And then I do, I also definitely, you know, with, uh, with business situations and you have to be careful with what kinds of business, uh, information you put in, uh, yeah. to the chat GPT interface, although with GPT four, you don't. So if you, uh, use the GPT four API or the GPT 3.5 API huh. or whatever, um, they automatically delete all messages after 30 days, I think you can read, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, read the terms and conditions yourself, but my memory of the terms and conditions for the OpenAI API is that after 30 days, the data are deleted and the data are only stored for that short period of time, they say, to make sure that uh, you're not misusing the platform, um, mm -hmm. you know, using it for nefarious activity or something. So um, yeah, so you could write, um, you know, probably a lot of our listeners are technical enough that you could have like a Jupyter notebook or a CoLab notebook or whatever 
um, or your IDE uh, set up in a way so that you could be having a conversation with GPT-4 without using the ChatGPT interface, and then you 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 can worry less, a bit less about uh, having proprietary data in there. But yeah, for like kind of you know general business questions where I know you know there's not going to be um, some issue. Um, yeah, just kind of you know common kinds of circumstances. You know, oh, like you know there's uh, this complexity with this you know particular prospective client or coworker, uh, and you know help me work through what the best approach would be or what I should say is, uh, you know, definitely a way that you can use the tool. Uh, so you can use it as a coach in that way for sure. Yeah. Oh, and that's so interesting. <laughs> I, I feel that we could talk for hours. I, I really don't think I should steal more, or, more of your time. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't actually mind my time. I've, I've got time right now, but maybe for our listeners, since they didn't necessarily sign up when, uh, when we started this episode, they probably weren't expecting the, the Q&A the other way. So uh, I hope that they enjoyed this little bit of it. And yeah, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show yourself. This was really, you were the guest on this episode and introducing us to Langchain, giving us this uh, awesome um, practical introduction with lots of examples. And yeah, we'll have links to everything for our listeners to follow up on themselves so that they can be deploying uh, Langchain, LLM, kind of Q&A applications. And you've got tons. Your YouTube channel has lots of other ideas for ways that people can be using LLMs and Langchain hands-on. So lots to check out there. Um, Chris, before I let you go, I know you read tons of books. So this is probably going to be a tricky question, but do you have a book recommendation for our audience? Yeah, uh, of course. It depends, of course, from what, where you are or what you've read. But like, I mean, Atomic Habits is a, just a must read just mm -hmm. if you want to stay consistent with what you do. But there, are, I think the book that helped me a lot is called The Long Game by Dory Clark. Because like I said, I've really, really struggled to stick to one niche. And I've read it recently for the second time just to ensure that I won't change my mind in six months again. <laughs> <laughs> and in this book, there is like a very interesting question how to like, that you should ask yourself how to build once, but make, how to create something once, but make it count 10 times. And I think that's really influenced what I do right now, because when I learn something, I immediately create projects. So I actually, I quit learning something new without a project, just always, always implement. And then from this project, I create a video and then I write a medium article. And like in the case of the project we talked about today, I, my article also got like promoted by, by a as, let's say famous person on medium with 90,000 followers. And now I'm talking to you. So I made it like, I made a single project count like 20 times right now, which is very, I think a very interesting concept to think about. Like, because I always like jumped from one thing to another. And right now I finished the project and slow down, slow down, like teach others and yeah. share everything you learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, great recommendations. Uh, Dory Clark is someone we've actually been uh, trying to, we've, we've, yeah, 
we have, we have some connections to her. We're thinking about getting her on the show, hopefully getting her on the show soon. Uh, okay. and then yeah, atomic habits. Yeah. A hugely influential book for me as well. Um, and I'd been following James Clear's blog for years before he wrote atomic habits. Um, and so, yeah, his, his own atomic habits approach was critical to this kind of iterative, you know, stick with the process and keep creating and yeah, eventually, you know, you, you learn from your mistakes, you iterate and improve, you recognize that nothing's going to be perfect the first time. And, uh, yeah. And then magic happens. Like you're saying, you know, you get that 20 X impact from your one project, this Langchain project or, uh, yeah, this podcast or, or whatever, you know, we're, we're following this approach, uh, definitely heavily influenced by James Clear. And yeah, he's someone I've known since, uh, 2013. So maybe someday he'll want to do an episode of the show as well. He doesn't, uh, do podcast episode as much as he used to in the run up to the release of his, uh, his book. But, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe someday we'll have the honor of him being on the show as that well. That would be awesome. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, all right, Chris, thanks so much. So other than your YouTube channel, which we'll definitely have in the show notes, your LinkedIn profile, are there any other ways that people should be following you? I guess Medium. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I do the same. I mean, once a week, you can expect an article. That's pretty much the same, like, like I said, like based on the same project. But some people just prefer this way. So. Nice. All right, Chris, thank you so much for this awesome episode and for also turning the tables around on me, which has never happened in the several hundred episodes that I've been hosting of this show. That has never happened. So that was kind of a fun thing to do for a bit. I hope the audience enjoyed it as well. This has definitely been a longer Friday episode. <laughs> it feels more yeah. like a Tuesday episode at this point. But uh, yeah, I hope it was uh, awesome for everyone out there. And Chris, so great to be able to meet you on air finally. And uh, yeah, make that connection. I, I hope you keep listening and maybe we'll have a chat with Super Data Science app up at some point soon. We'll have to, let's let's follow up on that. Uh, yeah, sure. So yeah, catch you again soon, Chris. Thanks for having me. Nice, well, that was something different, eh? Hope you took a lot from that discussion with Chris and hopefully you didn't mind me being the guest at the end for a bit there. In today's episode, Chris covered how Langchain has 80 plus data loaders, making it easy for you to have your data prepared for a natural language application. He talked about how large natural language data sets need to be broken up into chunks and then converted into vector embeddings, for example, by using the OpenAI Embeddings API so that the relevant language fits into the context window of an LLM. And then he explained how an off-the-shelf LLM, such as GPT 3.5 or GPT-4, can then interactively and intuitively answer whatever questions you might have about whatever you know, including super data science episodes, if that's what you want to have a chatbot to talk about, <laughs> to, to talk to about. Um, all right, that's it for today's episode. Support the show by sharing, reviewing, or subscribing, but most importantly, just keep listening. Until next time, keep on rocking it out there, my friend. I'm looking forward to enjoying another round of the Super Data Science Podcast with you very soon.